Good evening and welcome to Neuro Digest, our fourth episode here on Science TV. And today we're going to be talking about the associated medical conditions with autism. Remember we say this season we shall dive into autism in detail so that we can all get to understand what exactly is autism and all the aspects of how it comes about, how do we live with it, what do we look out for? And this is going to make it a bit easier for us as members of community to live with persons with invisible disabilities and be more understanding and compassionate about what they go through. So thank you for being with us uh, throughout all the episodes that we have had. And in case you missed the other seasons, we have spoken about signs and symptoms. We have spoken about sensory. We've spoken about... Um, mobility and all the challenges that a child has from time of birth and living as they grow up and also the other forms of invisible disabilities that we actually experience in life. Under, under those circumstances, I would like for today that we actually dive into a video and give you some visual aspects of what autism is and the signs and symptoms from a video that we have downloaded uh, online and we're giving credits to the parent who actually took the video and put it up for, uh, for us to get better to understand what autism looks like. So I will take you back on screen and they will show you the, a bit of the 10 symptoms of autism that we actually get to see in children when they are young. Obed, over to you. Remember is just because some of these signs exist in your child, that doesn't mean an automatic diagnosis for autism. However, the more these behaviors occur in your child, the more concerned you should be. The key here is consistency and frequency of these behaviors. So in this first example, it's pretty obvious. Some children will hand flap during early development, but as with all these signs, pay attention to how long the behaviors last. If the child grows out of these behaviors, generally around three years of age, there's not much to worry about. But with someone like Alistair, who hand flaps every day, there is cause for concern. This is one example of self-stimulation, or stimming, as it is called, and it helps to calm children with autism. This second example can be confusing to some, as most people have at least attempted to walk on their tippy toes at some point in their life. Again, pay attention to how often the child does the behavior. Our nine-year-old son, who was diagnosed with autism, still walks on his tippy toes to this very day. This third example may seem alarming, however, as long as they bang their head on something soft, like this padded high chair, generally they'll be okay. As a form of stimming, it can help calm the child due to the rocking motion. Many people with autism like to rock back and forth. We also show Alistair banging his head on the glass door and on the ground to show you different examples. However, after recording the footage, we promptly removed Alistair from the situation and redirected his attention to avoid any potential damage. Some people even need to buy football helmets for their kids, it gets so bad. This fourth example may not seem so odd to parents and others. After all, hasn't every kid been fussy in public at some point? But this behavior has less to do with not getting a treat or a toy, but due to the loud, bright conditions of most public settings. While it may be hard to distinguish sensory fussiness or meltdowns from common temper tantrums, an easy way to tell is this. When you give your child what they want, do they stop the bad behavior? If so, it's probably them just throwing a typical tantrum. However, if they continue to fuss, scream and cry, as if in pain, even after they get what they want, then it's probably a sensory-related tantrum or meltdown, as most people call it. Although I don't recommend giving into a child's demands, 
I think this exception can help once in a while, as it can be very revealing. Also, most common tantrums last minutes, whereas a sensory meltdown can last hours. Oh, buddy. Buddy, I love you. Oh, hard time, hard time, I know. We'll get you home, okay? In this fifth example, we see another example of stimming. While every child loves to play with water and blow bubbles in their milk, the key here is, again, how long does this behavior last? Also, you may notice that your child is doing this behavior alone, withdrawn from others, instead of trying to put on a show. Generally, the behavior will last longer than five or ten minutes and can last hours depending on the severity of autism. Look for extreme obsession and repetition with objects. And number six, we have very aggressive behavior. All kids fight at some point. But is your child doing this immediately after being punished, as if they are enjoying it? It may seem odd, but this can be another form of stimulation, as they get a strong response from others when they are aggressive. You will notice the child being much more aggressive than a typical child for no obvious or good reason, like wanting something another child has, such as a toy. Alistair, can you use your words? What do you think about the car wash? At number seven, we have a lack of response to voice or sound. While every child has ignored their parents at some point, usually out of spite, you will notice an autistic child being aloof, as if in their own little world. Sometimes parents think their little child has hearing problems at first, but this has more to do with being withdrawn than not hearing. If anything, autistic people hear too much and have a hard time filtering out noises. Alistair. Alistair. What are you playing with there, bud? You playing with a car? Sit down. Alistair. 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 Number eight is probably the most well-known sign, and that's the lack of eye contact. Most people with autism will avoid eye contact whenever they can, and many describe it as painful. While the specific reasons can vary from person to person, this is definitely a strong sign that autism is present and usually persists into adulthood. Number nine is missing speech milestones. If you don't know the general rule for how many words your baby or toddler should be using, then it's only a quick internet search away. Generally, if your child is only using a few words at age three, there is cause for concern. If your child is four or five and is still not using basic sentences, there is a great cause for concern. Also, echoing words or echolalia is when they constantly repeat the same phrase, not in a learning way, but more like a broken record way, again and again and again. So be aware of that too. been saying the same thing for the past 20 minutes, right? Finally, not all people with autism are nonverbal. Just because your child may be talking doesn't mean they're necessarily out of the woods. Number 10 has to do with problems in food or textures. Many people with autism are picky eaters, which ties them with the sensory issues. Some hate the feeling of yogurt or dislike their food touching other food. While this sounds like typical child behavior, it's on a much higher level. If you offer that food to your child, even if they are clearly hungry, they won't eat it even to save their lives. Fortunately, our son Alistair passes this test mostly. He loves all kinds of foods. He is much more picky with textures like clothing tags and scratchy shirts. Our older boys who have been diagnosed with autism still love to wear their clothes inside out to avoid clothing tags or odd textures. Alistair loves the feel of flannel and likes to wear hats for the feeling of security it gives him. While we didn't get to cover all the signs and symptoms of autism, we hope this gets you started in the right direction. If you seriously think someone you love has autism, please reach out to a local psychologist, neurologist, social worker, or other professional. The sooner you get your child help, 
the greater chance they will have adapting to society and its many social customs. Thank you for those who have taken the time to have a look at the video and now I believe you have a better view of exactly what we're talking about when we talk of the signs and symptoms of autistic persons. So that was to assist you as a viewer and as a parent or a caregiver to see some of the spectrum uh, disorders that are indicators of what autism looks like in the behavior of a child when they are young. So we will dive back into our today's topic now that at least that has been out of our way. And we're talking about medical conditions. Remember, I'm, uh, from my side, I'm speaking as a parent and I have taken the initiative to read a lot about all these things so that I might be of greater help to my son. Remember when we spoke, to, we spoke about acceptance, the first thing you do as a parent is understand, take it in, process it as a family, and then learn as much as you can about the condition. And that's the way you'll be able to help your child grow and thrive. So as a parent, I have taken the initiative to actually do a course on autism and ADHD because two of my children are affected and that is why we are actually having this conversation because education is power and the community will only get to understand and help and help us with this journey if they know exactly what we're dealing with. So I will go with the, to the most common conditions that we actually have in the autistic spectrum disorder, which is some of the times you will have our children have issues with their eyes. So you find a child who is not having clear vision and they might be forced to actually wear specs at a very early age. Or you will find that they have knocked eyes. Like when they're looking, you know, when in Swahili Trosema, macho uh, cross-eyed or macho chongo. That is what we talk about. So those are some of the things that you will notice in a child. And then we have the motor disabilities. We have flat foot. This is where you have the palm of the foot. Um, instead of having the arc on one of the sides, you find that it is totally flat. And this affects their mobility. And you'll find a child who's autistic will either have a hard time walking or they will really fall very easily if they trip. And that affects their mobility. Apart from that, we have children who you will find that they're, when they're born, they're, their hands or feet, uh, their feet go inward. You will also notice with their hands that they, most of the time they will either be clutching and they will not be letting go as much as you would expect for a child. You know, when they're born, yes, they're always with their hands closed. But as they're growing, you'll find that it is a habit that might continue. That is when we're talking about mobility and the fine motor skills. Fine motor skills is where the child is asked to grasp something like a pen and you will find that they have a very hard time actually uh, doing that cognitive action of uh, managing to put their hands together to grab a pen and actually create motion. So these are the mobility challenges that the children go through. Then we have most of the time we say that, uh, the children are nonverbal but often at times we know this is the great one of the greatest misdiagnoses and note I said mis diagnosis that we have where because of a child not being responsive parents or caregivers or doctors assume that the child is deaf just earlier today i met a friend of mine who actually mentioned that they actually had their child 
go through an operation when it was a misdiagnosis that the child was deaf and the child was okay. It was just autism that had not been intervened in time nor diagnosed. So that is why we're doing this, remember, so that we can be able to understand and avoid some of these misfortunes. So that is hearing impaired. Most of the time you find that they, they just need the uh, hearing aids, not that they're deaf, they just need some assistance. And then, like we said, also in the science, you find that they cannot stand a lot of sound, like very high pitch noises, they cannot do that. Children with autism and even adults will have issues feeding. They're very picky eaters and that sometimes you find even the digestion of their food will be a challenge for them. And this is something you can note when a child is very young. So when you're having your child forever being constipated and having a lot of stomach issues and you're supposed to see a gastroenterologist, please pay a bit more attention because that is one of the uh, conditions that we see that are always underlying when a child is autistic. Apart from that, we have constipation. That is when it comes to the gastro section. Remember, when your stomach is not digesting food well, and nervous systems go all the way to all these minor, minute places. So if that is not well done, that means it's going to affect the rest of the body. Imagine when you have a stomach ache, you're always trying, like bending down to try and control that. So for our, the children, it will be longer than normal. Like the issue of the stomach will keep recurring over and over again. And most of the time, as we are on the topic of gastro issues, we will find that they are lactose intolerant. This means that their tolerance to milk could be high. We always advise that you keep away milk from children who are autistic because it is very hard to break down milk. It's usually very heavy. And for, as we have said, that, that effect will always affect uh, autistic persons. And when you remove milk from their diet, they will have a happier and a better life. So that's one of the issues that you actually have with um, autism. I'll give you an example, as always I will use Andrew, because these are the mistakes I have gone through as a parent, and sharing is what actually gives you a real touch of what it was. Because when he was born, he, w he had very high reflux. This is where the reactions of, uh, his body reactions were very sharp. Like he would sense it so high, and then we had all the time, he was constipated, he was constipated, he was not passing stool in time, no matter how much of, um, balanced diet you give, uh, he was just not having that. So that's when we found out uh, at an early age, as a parent, I had to stop taking milk so long as I was breastfeeding my child because we have to work with the elimination process. So at this point, after we eliminated, he, he was able to sleep better and be a happier child. So these are some of the things you need to pay close attention. It could not always be because of autism, but it is one of the things to look out for. That is lactose intolerance and some of the gastro issues that we're talking about. So we, we will go into some of the medical conditions that are more complex now. So this involves things that uh, coexist uh, for those who are joining us. We are discussing medical conditions that actually coexist with autism. So when you see some of these uh, conditions, it could be a trigger to just let you know like, hey, watch out and try and uh, understand what is going on with your child. So we have um, convulsive disorder. These are seizures. Most of the time this comes in and um, there is a difference between epilepsy, which is kifafa in Swahili, and having a, a convulsive disorder. So uh, 
I will give you an example. Andrew had um, multiple sclerosis. This is uh, some liaisons in the head, which was the cause of the seizures. Some of the seizures are actually because of the brain development and can be also genetic. So those are some of that. That is a convulsive disorder. Epilepsy, on the other hand, also is inherited. And it's something that um, can be passed on in a family. And you will find epilepsy comes and there is a lot of foaming in the mouth. And that's when you see we talk about the tendency of biting your tongue and we're advised to actually place a spoon or something so that the, the patient does not injure themselves. While on the other hand, you will have convulsive disorder. Most of the time, it will just be a lot of saliva coming out. And your advice when that happens, you turn your child to the side. And uh, the thing is, when this is going on, you just need to give them space, good breathing, space, uh, good breathing environment, and just let them go through it. Unless you have oxygen at home, you can administer oxygen. I know we had earlier done a post on our Facebook page, which is Andy Speaks for Special Needs Person, about um, how, how, how to handle seizures. Because if you let a seizure continue for so long, remember it is something that is fatal. We have heard of a case in the US where a 20-year-old child has actually passed on a few yeah, a few weeks ago because of a con he got a conversion in the middle of the night. So as a parent, what I always do with the house that I live in, my son never sleeps alone because we know, and from the pattern of the uh, of, of how the seizures have been occurring, they always happen anytime from 4 a.m. to around 6 a.m. So that means all the morning hours. And when it happens, you will always hear them having difficulty in breathing. That's most of the time why um, you sleep as a special needs parent. We're always sleepy because you cannot fully sleep. You always have to have your ear and the like. Not that we hope for it, but if anything happens, you need to be ready to take action. So that is uh, about conversing disorder. So you will find also epilepsy comes along with that, where that your child will be having epilepsy and at the same time having um, seizure. We have said, don't let a conversion go for too long. Especially the first thing you have to see, do they have a fever? Because convulsive disorders can come in two ways. It can occur on its own because there is a lot of uh, electricity going on um, in a child's head. That is one of the reasons that explain why someone gets a convulsion. Because at that time, there is too much that the brain cannot handle so the, the, that, um, let's use for example, like when you get an electric shock, it goes through the entire body. So from the head, it, it goes through the entire body. And you will find most of the time, if you look, you will see the hands will be flipping, the eyes will roll back, and they will be also shaking and or become very stiff. And sometimes the worse it gets, then you'll find now the body will start curling in, especially the toes and the hands. The other thing you watch out for, if a convulsion becomes too much, if it is gotten to that point where if oxygen at this point is usually very restricted so it doesn't get to the child's brain so we actually have your brain cells dying for a child when this happens over time so let's act in time to avoid uh, the children regressing or getting mentally affected because that is what can happen so if you find that after the seizure or during the seizure your child passes urine kindly call and the doctor and if you have something called diazepam in the house if you know your child is convulsive have it in a form that the one that you administer through the back they're called sophisticatory 
I hope I got that right. And uh, that is the fastest way to actually help bring down the, the, the seizures uh, when a child is actually going through it. But like we said, if the child passes urine or if the child passes too, kindly rush them to a doctor. And if you have oxygen in the house, oh, please put it on them because it is advised. If you know it's an issue in your house, we we'll administer that because you're going to be helping your child. And um, this, this sign of passing urine and stool indicates that the brain and the neural system have now let go, for lack of a better word. Remember we said, no doctors, just my experience and what I have learned and studied about the issue because it's something that I'm living with. So when, the, when that shows, it shows that the body has let go of the control of, of the body. So the child is actually passing urine without the, any control. So most of the time you will notice that the child will have to be admitted and be monitored for a bit of time. Like, and if it's very bad, they might be put um, in high dependency units so that it's very close watch, especially if it repeats, if it recurs. Because the more you do, the more brain damage is happening. We actually had a case that was um, that happened about three weeks ago, a separate incident right here in Kenya where there was a late response to convulsion and suddenly the child is now brain dead, meaning they're there but they cannot function. So let us parents, my dear parents, I encourage you, when you see convulsions, even if it's something you do not understand, kindly just let your child be checked, talk to a neurologist, because we also have something called in, um, silent convulsions. If you note that your child just gazes, kuzuba, if you find your child just tears and does not um, respond, if you do this or if you do bring something into their eye or snap your finger in their face and they're not non-responsive, please note that is something we call silent convulsions. And that is a disorder that can actually take a while to go away. So they always say you study from when the child is born until like five years and then you, there are medications that are there to control the seizures and the neurologists are the ones who are there to advise on the right medication to use and it varies. It could be one medicine that works for your child or you might have to combine a couple to actually control it. That, that's for epilepsy and convulsive disorders. So we move on to cerebral palsy. Yes, cerebral palsy patients can also have autism. It's a tough pill. But yes, it happens. And that is 10% of the of persons with cerebral palsy, which we had in our first episode, we had dived into that. It is a disorder where the brain gets affected and in turn, the mobility of a child also gets effect, affected. So you will have some patients with CP who also have uh, autism spectrum disorder. The challenge is usually telling it apart because all of them are neuro, neurodiverse conditions but you have to clearly align no and no, which is which. Apart from there, we have um, children, a small percentage that ha or even adults that have what we call uh, Down syndrome and autism. So then that's why we are talking about neurodi neurodiversity and that's why we call our show Neurodigest because now I think you can see why it makes sense because all of these things are things that, that are conditions and disorders that happen because of the internal um, this internal changes of our natural uh, neurology and hence we get these disorders. So for Down syndrome, you will have at least some of them. It's not a great percentage because especially here in Africa, we don't have so many cases of Down syndrome, but it is there. 
and you will find um, a child who well, we also have both. So that I don't give you a lot of information at the same time, let us take a break, take a breather, process all that information, and we shall come back and also touch on more medical conditions that are always associated and underlying when a person has autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Sylvia Morano-Chabo, with my interpreter, Maureen Maida, and we'll see you in a bit. Don't forget, for any questions that you have, talk to us on Twitter, uh, that is Andy Speaks 4, and uh, on Instagram, Andy Speaks, and on our Facebook page for whatever questions you could be having, and anything you'd like for me to touch about, about medical uh, conditions that we have not spoken on, or could not be on my list of what we intend to talk about, hit me up, and I will answer your questions. See you in a bit. Welcome back to NeuroDigest. Welcome back to NeuroDigest. I am your host, Sylvia Moramo-Chabo, and my interpreter, Maureen Maida. And we will be continuing with the underlying medical conditions that are associated with autism. We have covered the most common ones that are some of the signs that you have to watch out. And we have also gone through some of the ones that are actually other neuro neurodiverse conditions, that is CP, uh, epilepsy and conversive disorder and um, Down syndrome that normally you will find children who have these other neurodiverse conditions that actually could be having also autism at the same time. So now we move next to uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, also known as ADHD. Most of the time you will find that a child could either have both or either of the two aspects of this condition. This is ADD, that is attention De deficit disorder, where the child cannot actually sit still and pay attention to what it is that they are doing. And then apart from that, then you have the AHD where it is attention hyper, that is the hyperactivity disorder. You find the child is forever everywhere like running up and down, they cannot sit still, like they cannot even listen, like it's like they're always burning, like there is something that they have to do or have to be somewhere. So giving them instructions tends to be very hard and actually keeping them still to get a task done from zero to the end is almost impossible. But it's not always uh, uh, impossible. It is something that in good news, you can actually nurture from home where you train a child and they will learn how to pay attention, be still. Something that you can also handle through nutrition. If you cut things like sugar, milk, and you give, keep the children on a specific diet, you can actually help them be a bit calmer, improve their concentration, use of supplements also. And uh, these are some of the things and the diseases that we'll be looking at when we'll be handling nutrition and neurodiversity. So. You better stick around uh, in the other seasons when we bring nutritionists to actually help us through this. And uh, for, for the deficit of attention, you will find that these children in time, if you keep at giving them an instruction, you sit still, you walk them through it and you sit through with them when they're distracted and then you keep timing and you will find it's something that can actually improve in time. But it is one of the most common um, 
neurodiverse conditions that we have in in autism and most of the time you will find due to lack of knowledge here in Kenya and in the rural areas and generally even in Africa and other parts of the world you will find that guys uh, confuse this with a child being indisciplined because of how they behave and because they can't sit still and uh, the sad bit one of the stories the worst we have heard so far is a child who was beaten to death by a teacher because of um, the, uh, this following, uh, what do we call it? The following medical condition. This is the most common challenge that we have in autism, which is the um, intellectual disabilities, or some people call it learning disabilities. Remember we said it's a neurological issue, so you will find that the children will get affected even in processing of information and relaying and communication and taking instructions also. So you will find putting them in a classroom situation where they have to learn and taking a lot of things will be very hard for them. So back to the story I was telling you. Sadly, somewhere in the west of Kenya, there is a teacher who actually beat a child to death because they could not understand why they've taken so much time trying to teach a child something and they just don't understand it. So that's why one of the other reasons that bring us to start this show, NeuroDigest, to educate the public, educate parents, educate caregivers, and you as people in society get to understand exactly what is going on with the child. And that way you will find that we can embrace the children, understand them, and in the school's environment, understand that they learn differently they totally learn differently so we try and adjust our system so that we are able to teach the children in the ways they can actually understand one of the things that we have one of the most common intellectual disability that we have is something we call dyslexia dyslexia is one of the most common learning challenge that a child goes through so some one of the signs that you see in dyslexic children is the Oh, remember, I'm not an expert, so bear with me. <laughs> but it's something that I know I have seen once, where a child will have difficulties uh, and confusion in, th in letters that look very similar, or even sound similar, like B and D. So visually, they, are, they will be confusing the two. And you will find that they will be either very slow in learning, not that they're not getting you, they, remember, intellectual disability is just that they need more time in what it is that they're doing. And when you're teaching them, you need to take them slow. Remember, one of the signs and symptoms when we were talking about milestones for language, we mentioned that there is a certain number of words by a certain age that uh, normally that is expected in normal growth. So you will find that they will be lagging behind in this. So if a child uh, is going uh, to be going through this challenge of learning, and a teacher does not understand what they're dealing with, most of the time you will find that there will be a lot of stigma in terms of naming children names that are not appropriate, like stupid, like a slow learner, or you find them being mocked in class because they're just not performing on average according to other students in class. But what we'd like to encourage our teachers find what it is that this child actually enjoys doing. you find most of the autistic uh, persons are very intelligent in specific areas. Very, very intelligent. So, like you know, Newton was the one who discovered 
is one of our greatest scientists. Okay, that one has evaporated. But he was autistic. You see, that is very highly intellectual. And we had uh, even the first president, uh, the American president, not, it wasn't the first one, but Abraham Lincoln was autistic, right? Steve Jobs was autistic. So it's not that they don't quite understand. It's just that they have their own speed one and two, there are things that they are more inclined towards as compared to other children. So as a parent, remember we said even this last time, developmental delays are not full stops. They're just commas, your child will get there. But they need you as a parent to walk this journey with them. So don't give up on your child, no matter how slow it is that they're learning. So if you walk with them, you keep a tit. Enjoy what it is that they enjoy. Encourage them day in, day out. Don't tire. And when the fruits come out, trust you me, you will be one of the people who will be celebrating the most. Now, we shall move to something that is a great concern globally at the moment, which is anxiety and depression. Yes, this is something that a lot of uh, neuro neurodiverse children are struggling with. Anxiety can come in very many ways. Uh, when you see your child does not want the environment changed and they get very unsettled or they cry or they get very fussy when you change something, that's one of them. It can be um, something that you need to really pay attention to, especially when it is very severe, like severe, severe anxiety over small things. Then that means you need to actually talk to a doctor. But there is the regular anxiety of change. Remember, we said one of the things that autistic persons don't like is changing the way they do things or moving their things around. They like things in a specific order. So that is uh, anxiety. We will not dive into a lot into it because we have a few more others that we want to talk about. And when it comes to depression, this one is mostly in teenage children. Our teenage children in, autist, uh, in the spectrum have it rough. Imagine yourself when you were a teenager, how things were happening because of your hormones and you have no idea what is going on. An autistic child already has it hard, tough, whatever word you want to use, uh, trying to conform and just live in the uh, community that we have. So try to imagine now they have hormones on top of it, their body is changing. They have no idea what is talking, what is going on. And talking to them sometimes, remember, it is not everything that they can process. It is usually a slow and painful thing when we watch our children going through this. But teenage is not easy for an autistic person. If you as a parent, you have it hard, even put try and one day and just put yourself in their shoes. All this confusion that they're going through, their body changing, their voices, their emotions, their... their I have no words to go into that, but yeah, that's some turmoil over there that someone would be going through. So that can often at times lead to depression. So parents try and be very close and have a relationship with your child. Try and have a code of how to communicate, what is going on, and have that open channel so that if whatever is going on, remember our children could be nonverbal, so it's also very hard for us to try and actually know what is going on with them. So watch their behaviors around this age, see what is changing, and also you can consult a specialist when you see that it could be toppling over. And as parents also, as parents of autistic children, we go through depression and we know it. We all know it. It is not an easy road because you have a lot to deal with, you have a lot to accept. Um, 
the journey is never easy, especially for the ones who are single-heartedly raising their children, because that's a double task. But we also need to have me time. We also need to take a break once in a while. Call that friend to just sit in for you. Have that inner circle community, as we had said last time, when we were talking about diagnosis and what to do after you discover that your child is autistic. So um, then the other thing we will have is something we call mood disorders. So we're dealing with the, the same environment and the very many things that could be happening and the conditions that could be going on in a child when they are autistic. That is for those who are joining us right now. So we are on mood disorders. You will find that the child will be okay, then they're very moody, then they go to another mood. So it is something that all children go through through teenage, as a child, and even as adults, sometimes we get moods. And uh, for us women, we know PMS, how it comes around, something that's not in your control. But now we're talking about mood disorders that just are a bit above normal. Like uh, they, they, they swap, they change very fast. And now you need to learn that there is mood disorders, then there is bipolar. So I've introduced two words. <laughs> there is the mood disorders that your child could be going through, could be having, and bipolar. These are things that the doctors will be able to tell apart and will be able to guide you as a parent. Most of the time, some of these diseases, we think of them like a white society kind of disease, but we live with it. It's just that here in Africa, we look at things differently. And bipolar generally means that someone will be having multiple personalities. Like today I'm talking to you, you're all bubbly and all this, and I meet you tomorrow, you're this totally different person. And these two people can exist in you as an individual and actually can come out at any time. Like the change can be very evident and the times you just do not want anyone around you, the times now you're okay, you're social, and most of the time you'll find that persons with bipolar are introverted. I hope that's a very common word that we all we all understand. Whereby you 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 keep things to yourself. You're not very vocal. And you remember, if this is an autistic child, they already have that challenge of not being able to communicate. So telling some of these uh, medical conditions apart from the actual signs and symptoms can be wanting. But parents, remember when you're saying what we are saying here is, if something is extreme, take the extra step. Just go to a doctor, consult a doctor, and uh, if, if it becomes a psychiatric issue, because sometimes it happens, just talk to a psychiatrist. But do it with the right person, someone who's qualified to deal with special needs, so that they give you the correct guidance. Because remember, it is one of the thin lines that we are having uh, to deal with in the medical field, where we have um, people who do not understand the condition treating some of the issues that are on the spectrum. So be informed with who it is that you actually see so that they give you the right advice and we avoid the cases that we have of misdiagnosis. We shall move to something we all hear and take lightly, something we call OCD. But in full, that means obsessive compulsive disorder. Have you ever, I, I, I know I have OCD, but it's not a lot. So it is a bit of OCD where I like my things this way or that way or that way. But some OCD is good. When we're talking about it as a medical condition, this is when it's extreme. And you will hear parents saying, my child will not, want, will not sleep unless the cars, that is if it's toys or dolls or their toys, 
are specifically arranged in specific color code or in specific sizes or in specific um, order or style and if you move it hell breaks loose so that is the real deal of OCD that is where the child is very obsessive like too obsessive in our it could be in how things are done it, uh, most of the time it comes out in terms of perfection everything has to be thorough if I'm eating no speck on me even a rice should not be on me it is a bother to them if I'm going to sleep uh, I should be sleeping on this end and in a specific way uh, with all uh, not all of us maybe for those who have watched Big Bang Theory you know Sheldon Sheldon is actually autistic in real life the same way he acts as a high-functioning artsy in and a genius at that in the show is the some of the those are some of the symptoms when we're talking about OCD like I'll sit on this spot and I can't sit any other spot if it is not this one and I will wait until that spot is available so these are some of the obsessions we are talking about it could be with that and then we also have obsessive uh, this disorder there are some of the obsessive, obsessive disorders pardon me could be like for example i've mentioned over and over again about how andrew likes the stick it's a calming effect for him but he's obsessed with it it's like an obsession that we we are working towards eliminating and replacing it with safer things than sticks because you look at it like it can be a self-injurious thing if he trips and falls and he has a stick it could be something that could cause injury we have children who are attached to items so that is attachment but excessive remember this some of these things are some of the symptoms of autistic children but when it goes beyond uh, the safe zone when it goes beyond there there is a certain degree of how some things are acceptable and as a parent I'm sure you are able to know that this is okay but when it gets to another level uh, you're like okay something is wrong so that obsession is one of the signs and symptoms of uh, the medical conditions that we have. And it will be good if, if you find a way of, re of diverting a child from that. But one of the hardest ones is when the child is a perfectionist in the things that they do. It is, it is a good behavior, but let's not have it when it's too much. Then you try and have uh, someone uh, assist professionally in how they go out over this. Now, we have something called stereotyped movements. Some of them, I'll take an example of uh, like the rocking. There is the rocking uh, behavior. Then no, there is the mild, then there is excess, then there is too much of the rocking. Yes, it is a self um, self-assuring and self-acclimatizing uh, behavior for autistic children. Remember, not all of them. All these things we are discussing is not a must that because you're autistic, you have to have this. In the first episode, we said clearly, autism spectrum disorder, meaning it is a wide spectrum, that you could be having this and not that, and there is no one person who is equal and similar to the other. So do not expect that all of these things we're talking about are in your child. No, it is not. It is very hard to find all this in one person. It is just that autism is so wide uh, that all these things are some of the things that, are, as the study is still going on, what has been observed. So some of these movements, when it is severe, like head banging, so we have children who bang their heads in a, as a form of calming down, and there are those ones who do it nonstop. Remember, the head is very sensitive. 
So uh, apart from having the headgear to just safeguard their head, there you could try and just change the environment. There is medical intervention also for trying to just change the child to divert from that self-injurious behavior to something else. And that, I think, is some of the things that the behavior analysts are doing and uh, trying to help parents who have children who have um, movements that can actually um, cause uh, danger to the person who's autistic, also to the environment, uh, because of the environment and towards the people who are around him. So stereotype, stereotyped movements, there are very many, and uh, some of them we have already mentioned earlier. Uh, last but not least, let us go into tics and Tourette disorders. This is the, the disorder where you find there is uncontrollable and uh, involuntary movements of body parts of a person who's autistic. This is where you find a child will either be ticking their head or twitching either part of their body, or you will find that they're, how, how do I call it? I'm trying to mimic the, the the movement, but it's not it's not so easy. But I'll make sure I get a video and upload it on the page for Andy Speaks for Special Needs Persons. But generally, they're involuntary. So when you're seeing a child either doing the ticks and moving in a way um, that is continuous and open, and it's happening over and over and over again, remember it is not that the, it's something that you just enjoy doing. It's an involuntary movement that comes with the fact that they are autistic all right i know that was a lot for today you can go over and watch the repeat show you can join us on youtube and go through the list again for people for people watching on on facebook thank you for joining us today we are trying that and we hope we'll be able to do this every other week so that we have you let's keep the conversation going we shall now start having uh interviews and bringing um specialists on board now that we have the general uh, information on diagnosis and signs and symptoms, now let's get back to the community and hear real life stories because all that we're talking about is not from nowhere. It happens right here in our country as we're raising our children. So we have interesting people lined up for you. So don't go far. Don't, don't forget every Thursday at 8 p.m. you join us here on NeuroDigest where we will be able to enlighten you on matters neurodevelopmental disorders, also known as invisible disabilities. And uh, your takeaway for today, know that 44% of persons living with autism spectrum disorder are average or above average in their intellectual ability. So just because they are slow, they're not dumb. Just because they don't do it when and as how you want it, Remember, they have their own way of learning. So if they cannot learn the way you teach them, let us adjust a bit and teach them the way they want to be taught. And that's the only way we will have an inclusive and interactive and an integrated community where we have equality for all, even those living with special needs. I am your host, Sylvia Moramo Chabo. My humble interpreter has been Maureen. And don't forget to join us next week on, on Thursday, same time, same place here on Science TV and also online on Facebook page and keep sharing and keep liking our pages. Continue that conversation. What would you like to hear about next time or in, other, in our season for autism and other neurodiverse conditions? So good night from us here and we we'll see you next week.